Welcome to Rebecca Reads. The story for today is King Midas. It's a pretty long story, so I've broken it up into two parts. Today will be part one. This version is written by Nathaniel Hawthorne and found in his collection of stories called A Wonder Book for Girls and Boys. Nathaniel Hawthorne was an American novelist that lived in Massachusetts in the 1800s. He enjoyed the Greek myths, but felt they were told so coldly and were no fun at all. With the pending birth of his daughter, he really wanted to rewrite some of the Greek myths in a way that would make them more enjoyable to children. So he wrote a collection of six stories, all in a little less than two months. The book was an instant success. Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. And now for part one of King Midas. Once upon a time, there lived a very rich man, and a king besides, whose name was Midas, and he had a little daughter whom nobody but myself ever heard of, and whose name I either never knew or have entirely forgotten. So, because I love odd names for little girls, I choose to call her Marigold. This King Midas was fonder of gold than of anything else in the world. He valued his royal crown chiefly because it was composed of that precious metal. If he loved anything better or half so well, it was the one little maiden who played so merrily around her father's footstool. But the more Midas loved his daughter, the more did he desire and seek for wealth. He thought, foolish man, that the best thing he could possibly do for this dear child would be to bequeath her the immensest pile of yellow glistening coin that had ever been heaped together since the world was made. Thus he gave all his thoughts and all his time to this one purpose. If ever he happened to gaze for an instant at the gold-tinted clouds of sunset, he wished that they were real gold, but that they could be squeezed safely into his strong box. When little Marigold ran to meet him with a bunch of buttercups and dandelions, he used to say, Poo-poo, child, if these flowers were as golden as they look, they would be worth the plucking. And yet, in his earlier days, before he was so entirely possessed of this insane desire for riches, King Midas had shown a great taste for flowers. He had planted a garden in which grew the biggest and beautifulest and sweetest roses that any mortal ever saw or smelt. These roses were still growing in the garden, as large, as lovely, and as fragrant as when Midas used to pass whole hours in gazing at them and inhaling their perfume. But now, if he looked at them at all, it was only to calculate how much the garden would be worth if each of the innumerable rose petals were a thin plate of gold. And though he once was fond of music, in spite of an idle story about his ears, which were said to resemble those of a donkey, the only music for poor Midas now was the chink of one coin against another. At length, as people always grow more and more foolish, unless they take care to grow wiser and wiser, Midas had got to be so exceedingly unreasonable that he could scarcely bear to see or touch any object that was not gold. He made it his custom, therefore, to pass a large portion of every day in a dark and dreary apartment underground at the basement of his palace. It was here that he kept his wealth. To this dismal hole, for it was little better than a dungeon, Midas betook himself whenever he wanted to be particularly happy. Here, after carefully locking the door, he would take a bag of gold coin or a gold cup as big as a washbowl or a heavy golden bar 
or a peck measure of gold dust, and bring them from the obscure corners of the room into the one bright and narrow sunbeam that fell from the dungeon-like window. He valued the sunbeam for no other reason but that his treasure would not shine without its help. And then he would reckon over the coins in the bag, toss up the bar and catch it as it came down, sift the gold dust through his fingers, look at the funny image of his own face as reflected in the burnished circumference of the cup, and whisper to himself, O Midas, rich King Midas, what a happy man art thou. But it was laughable to see how the image of his face kept grinning at him out of the polished surface of the cup. It seemed to be aware of his foolish behavior and to have a naughty inclination to make fun of him. Midas called himself a happy man, but felt that he was not yet quite as happy as he might be. The very tip-top of enjoyment would never be reached unless the whole world were to become his treasure room and be filled with yellow metal, which should be all his own. Now, I need hardly remind such wise little people as you are that in the old, old times, when King Midas was alive, a great many things came to pass, which we should consider wonderful if they were to happen in our own day and country. And, on the other hand, a great many things take place nowadays, which seem not only wonderful to us, but at which the people of old times would have stared their eyes out. On the whole, I regard our own times as the strangest of the two. But, however that may be, I must go on with my story. Midas was enjoying himself in his treasure room one day, as usual, when he perceived a shadow fall over the heaps of gold. And looking suddenly up, what should he behold but the figure of a stranger, standing in the bright and narrow sunbeam? It was a young man with a cheerful and ruddy face. Whether it was that the imagination of King Midas threw a yellow tinge over everything, or whatever the cause might be, he could not help fancying that the smile with which the stranger regarded him had a kind of golden radiance in it. Certainly, although his figure intercepted the sunshine, there was now a brighter gleam upon all the piled-up treasures than before. Even the remotest corners had their share of it, and were lighted up when the stranger smiled, as with the tips of flame and sparkles of fire. As Midas knew that he had carefully turned the key in the lock, and that no mortal strength could possibly break into his treasure room, he, of course, concluded that his visitor must be something more than mortal. It is no matter about telling you who he was. In those days, when the earth was comparatively a new affair, it was supposed to be often the resort of beings endowed with supernatural power, and who used to interest themselves in the joys and sorrows of men, women, and children, half playfully and half seriously. Midas had met such beings before now, and was not sorry to meet one of them again. The stranger's aspect, indeed, was so good-humored and kindly, if not beneficent, that it would have been unreasonable to suspect him of intending any mischief. It was far more probable that he came to do Midas a favor, and what could that favor be unless to multiply his heaps of treasure? The stranger gazed about the room, and when his lustrous smile had glistened upon all the golden objects that were there, he turned again to Midas. "'You are a wealthy man, friend Midas,' he observed. "'I doubt whether any other four walls on earth contain so much gold as you have contrived to pile up in this room.' "'I have done pretty well, pretty well,' answered Midas in a discontented tone. 
but after all, it is but a trifle, when you consider that it has taken me my whole life to get it together. If one could live a thousand years, he might have time to grow rich. What? exclaimed the stranger. Then you are not satisfied? Midas shook his head. And pray, what would satisfy you? asked the stranger. Merely for the curiosity of the thing I should be glad to know. Midas paused and meditated. He felt a presentiment that this stranger, with such a golden luster in his good-humoured smile, had come hither with both the power and the purpose of gratifying his utmost wishes. Now, therefore, was the fortunate moment when he had but to speak and obtain whatever possible or seemingly impossible thing it might come into his head to ask. So he thought, thought, and thought, and heaped up one golden mountain upon another in his imagination without being able to imagine them big enough. At last, a bright idea occurred to King Midas. It seemed really as bright as the glistening metal which he loved so much. Raising his head, he looked at the lustrous stranger in the face. Well, Midas, observed his visitor, I see that you have at length hit upon something that will satisfy you. Tell me your wish. It is only this, replied Midas. I am weary of collecting my treasures with so much trouble, and beholding the heap so diminutive after I have done my best. I wish everything that I touch to be changed to gold. The stranger's smile grew so very broad that it seemed to fill the room like an outburst of the sun gleaming into a shadowy dell where the yellow autumnal leaves, for so looked the lumps and particles of gold, lie strewn in the glow of light. Golden touch, exclaimed he. You'll certainly deserve credit, friend Midas, for striking out so brilliant a conception. But are you quite sure that this will satisfy you? How could it fail? said Midas. And will you never regret the possession of it? What could induce me? asked Midas. I ask nothing else to render me perfectly happy. "'Be it as you wish, then,' replied the stranger, waving his hand in token of farewell. "'Tomorrow, at sunrise, you will find yourself gifted with the golden touch.' The figure of the stranger then became exceedingly bright, and Midas involuntarily closed his eyes. On opening them again, he beheld only one yellow sunbeam in the room, and all around him the glistening of the precious metal which he had spent his life in hoarding up. Whether Midas slept as usual that night, the story does not say. Asleep or awake, however, his mind was probably in the state of a child's to whom a beautiful new plaything has been promised in the morning. At any rate, day had hardly peeped over the hills when King Midas was brought awake and, stretching out his arms out of bed, began to touch the objects that were within reach. He was anxious to prove whether the golden touch had really come according to the stranger's promise. So he laid his finger on a chair by the bedside and on various other things, but was grievously disappointed to perceive that they remained of exactly the same substance as before. Indeed, he felt very much afraid that he had only dreamed about the lustrous stranger, or else that the latter had been making game of him. 
And what a miserable affair would it be if, after all his hopes, Midas must content himself with what little gold he could scrape together by ordinary means, instead of creating it by a touch. All this while it was only the grey of the morning, with but a streak of brightness along the edge of the sky, where Midas could not see it. He lay in a very disconsolate mood, regretting the downfall of his hopes, and kept growing sadder and sadder, until the earliest sunbeam shone through the window and gilded the ceiling over his head. It seemed to Midas that this bright yellow sunbeam was reflected in rather a singular way on the white covering of the bed. Looking more closely, what was his astonishment and delight when he found that this linen fabric had been transmuted to what seemed a woven texture of the purest and brightest gold? The golden touch had come to him with the first sunbeam. Midas started up in a kind of joyful frenzy and ran about the room, grasping at everything that happened to be in his way. He seized one of the bedposts, and it became immediately a fluted golden pillar. He pulled aside a window curtain in order to admit a clear spectacle of the wonders which he was performing, and the tassel grew heavy in his hand, a mass of gold. He took up a book from the table. At his first touch, it assumed the appearance of such a splendidly bound and gilt-edged volume as one often meets with nowadays. But on running his fingers through the leaves, behold, it was a bundle of thin golden plates in which all the wisdom of the book had grown illegible. He hurriedly put on his clothes and was enraptured to see himself in a magnificent suit of gold cloth which retained its flexibility and softness, although it burdened him a little with its weight. He drew out his handkerchief, which little Marigold had hemmed for him. That was likewise gold, with the dear child's neat and pretty stitches running all along the border in gold thread. Somehow or other, this last transformation did not quite please King Midas. He would rather that his little daughter's handiwork should have remained just the same as when she climbed his knee and put it into his hand. But it was not worth while to vex himself about a trifle. Midas now took his spectacles from his pocket and put them on his nose in order that he might see more distinctly what he was about. In those days, spectacles for common people had not been invented, but were already worn by kings, else how could Midas have had any? To his great perplexity, however, excellent as the glasses were, he discovered that he could not possibly see through them. But this was the most natural thing in the world, for on taking them off, the transparent crystal turned out to be plates of yellow metal, and, of course, were worthless as spectacles, though valuable as gold. It struck Midas as rather inconvenient that, with all his wealth, he could never again be rich enough to own a pair of serviceable spectacles. "'It is no great matter, nevertheless,' he said to himself very philosophically, we cannot expect any great good without its being accompanied with some small inconvenience. The golden touch is worth the sacrifice of a pair of spectacles, at least, if not of one's very eyesight. My own eyes will serve for ordinary purposes, and little Marigold will soon be old enough to read to me. Wise King Midas was so exalted by his good fortune that the palace seemed not sufficiently spacious to contain him. He therefore went downstairs and smiled on observing that the balustrade of the staircase became a bar of burnished gold as his hand passed over it in his descent. He lifted the door latch, 
It was brass only a moment ago, but golden when his fingers quitted it, and emerged into the garden. Here, as it happened, he found a great number of beautiful roses in bloom, and others in all the stages of lovely bud and blossom. Very delicious was their fragrance in the morning breeze. Their delicate blush was one of the fairest sights in the world. So gentle, so modest, and so full of sweet tranquility did these roses seem to be. But Midas knew a way to make them far more precious, according to his way of thinking, than roses had ever been before. So he took great pains in going from bush to bush, and exercised his magic touch most indefatigably, until every individual flower and bud, and even the worms at the heart of some of them, were changed to gold. By the time this good work was completed, King Midas was summoned to breakfast, and, as the morning air had given him an excellent appetite, he made haste back to the palace. Thank you for listening to the first part of King Midas. Was Midas wise or foolish to ask for the gift of the golden touch? Do you think he will have any problems with the gift? Do you think he will really be happy being able to turn everything he touches into gold? Would you want that gift? Today's poem is Fairy Song by John Keats. It reads, Shed no tear, O oh shed no tear, The flower will bloom another year. Weep no more, O oh weep no more, Young buds sleep in the root's white core. Dry your eyes, O oh dry your eyes, For I was taught in paradise To ease my breast of melodies. Shed no tear. Overhead, look, overhead, Among the blossoms white and red. Look up, look up, I flutter now On this flush pomegranate bough. See me, tis the silvery bell ever cures the good man's ill. Shed no tear, O oh shed no tear, the flowers will bloom another year. Adieu, adieu, I fly adieu, I vanish in the heavens blue. Adieu, adieu. That is another episode of Rebecca Reads. Feel free to leave me any comments or email me at RebeccaReadsPodcast at gmail.com. You can also send me a message on my Facebook page. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Keep reading, and I'll see you next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.